Good morning. Will you stand with us as we worship together? to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, of course, we're broken down today. We don't have our whole band uh, because tonight we're going to be having our, our, our children's VBS musical, which is going to be really good, by the way, so come back and see that. Uh, so we're doing an unplugged set today, sort of, except for the plugged in, but you, you know what I mean. So here we go. We're going to sing this song. We're praying that the Lord will build his kingdom here. Isn't that a great thing to start today? Lord, we don't want you to build this. We want you to build your kingdom, but we sure want to be a part of it. So build your kingdom here, Lord. Come sing your rule and
seated. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And if you're a guest here with us, we're especially glad that you're here. And the one thing that we would ask is that you would fill out the guest registration card that's located there in the pew rack. There's a place if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can indicate that on the card. So later on in our service, when we take up our offering, you can just drop that in the offering plate, and that can be your offering this morning. So we just got done with an incredible week of VBS, right? I mean, it was amazing. And now we're about to roll into another busy week because Bonnaroo is coming to town, right? Hey, that's cool. That's cool. Here's the thing. I, I never know how we feel about Bonnaroo. But here's what I do know. The nations are coming to Manchester, and we have an obligation to share the gospel. So that's what the Jesus Tent is all about. And so we're going to have over 250 volunteers serving at the Jesus Tent this week. So I know there's some inconveniences that are going to come your way. You're going to go to Walmart this week, and you're going to like be afraid to, like, what am I going to see? What's going to happen throughout this week as those things happen to you? Would that be a reminder to pray for the Jesus Tent? To pray that eyes would be opened, and that ears would hear, and that the gospel would be preached. And that disciples would be made, seeds would be planted. Um, if you're a volunteer here and you're going to be serving this week, would you do me a favor and just raise your hand? That's pretty cool to see. I want to take a moment. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the Jesus tent. I want to ask God to just use our efforts, make his name great in his own tent. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we love you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we get an opportunity to give cold water, hot coffee, fresh fruit, phone charging, all of those things in your name to Bonnaroo. But Father, the greatest thing we have to offer is the news that you have come to save, that you have taken our place. Father, may that be the greatest thing we share this week. Father, I pray for these volunteers, God, that you would use them mightily. And God, I thank you for this whole church that this week will be praying for Bonnaroo. Father, use us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. to understand. 
Lord, we come before you this morning just falling down at your feet, giving you praise because you are worthy of praise. Help us to worship you, Lord. We don't even know how to do that without your help. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may worship you in spirit and in truth and put a smile on your face this morning.
I think about the love of Jesus, sometimes I just say, how can it be? How can it be that anybody would love us in such a way? Donna's going to sing this. and You're going to sing along with us. I am guilty Ashamed of what I've done What I've become These hands are dirty I dare not lift them up To the Holy One You plead my cause You ride my wrongs You break my chains You overcome You gave your life To give me
Charles Wesley wrote a, wrote a hymn back in 1738. And I thought maybe I would just pray these words. They're a little bit, they're kind of uh, poetic. But I want you just to let these words soak in as a prayer. Just bow your head with me from the hymn, And Can It Be? It says this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. His mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. No condemnation now, I dread. Jesus, and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? In Jesus' name we pray. Please be seated. Good morning, and thank you for joining us this morning. Our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, is in Brentwood at Brentwood Baptist Church this morning, um, helping his son, Zach, and his wife, Emily, helping them uh, baptize his uh, oldest grandson, Hank, and so he is there this morning. And I just also, Jake already reported about VBS, but I just wanted to report, um, you know, we had an incredible week with nearly 400, I think there was 394 people here on the highest day. And uh, from that week, we had uh, somewhere between 16 and 18 salvations. They're still following up with some of the, the younger kids and students, so we're excited about that incredible week. I think we ought to give God a hand clap for that. And I just want to take a moment just to point your attention. You'll see it there in your worship guide. Uh, but out on the welcome desk, you'll see these yellow deacon nomination forms. And we're asking you that you prayerfully will consider um, uh, electing and nominating uh, both new deacons and deacons that are already currently serving to, to jump back in for another three-year rotation. And so all deacons are part of our a deacon family ministry plan. Uh, and then some of them cycle in for a three-year rotation. And so this form is out at the welcome desk now. If you already want to see it, there's one side where you'll be writing down two names. That is not the names on this list right here. But you can see these men are already deacons. Every year, there are people that write down only names from this list. And it's going to tell you in bold, don't write down names from this list. They are already deacons. Your vote is wasted. So don't do that. And then on the back, you're electing those, those men to, to cycle back on. And so... Please prayerfully pick those up so you can be informed about that and be a part of our process as a church of nominating new deacons. This morning, I want to set out to answer a thought-provoking question. When was God at his best? 
When was God at his best? If we travel back through the pages of Scripture, we can see that our God has done amazing, incredible, just incredible things through the pages of Scripture. We know that our God is omnipotent, meaning this, that he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, meaning that there's no place that he's not. He's omniscient, meaning he knows all things. Our God is love. Our God is holy. Our God is perfect. Our God is righteous. Our God is just. Our God is unchanging. Our God is gracious. He's merciful. But when is our God at his best? God must have been at his best at the creations of the heavens and the earth. You see, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. And then chapter 1 goes on to tell us all about how God created the heavens and the earth and that he spoke it into existence. So who but God can stand on a, a platform of nothingness and speak life and speak form into existence? God spoke our Milky Way galaxy into existence, our solar system, our planets, our planet Earth rotates on its axis at 1,532 feet per second, nearly 1,000 miles per hour at the equator. The planet zips around the sun, get this, at more than 18 miles per second. It was God that placed the sun in the sky, and it's been shining ever since. God put the moon in the sky, and it's been glowing ever since. And God put the stars in the sky, and they've never needed a battery change. Planet Earth is flourishing, you see, with all kinds of life. I've driven out to California, and I've driven a car right through the large redwood trees. I've been to Florida and laid out into the sun under the palm trees. We could, uh, we could you know, I grew up in the Midwest, and it's full of oak trees and hickory trees. We could drive south and see red dirt in Alabama and Georgia. We could go further south to Texas and see cotton fields. We could drive west to Colorado and see the, the incredible Rocky Mountains or to Arizona for the breathtaking Grand Canyon. We could jump on a plane and fly to Alaska and see incredible glaciers. We could get on a boat and ride down the mighty Mississippi through 10 states. God must have been at his best at the creation of the heavens and earth because God's got this incredible, incredible creative capacity and the sense of design. He had to have been at his best during the creation of the heavens and the earth. But not so. If God were at his best, if God were not at his best at the creations of the heaven and the earth, then when was God at his best? I think God was at his best when he created man. You see, we learn in the first two chapters of Genesis that, and creation that, that we find out that man is the culmination of God's creation, that God made man in his own image and he breathed into us the very breath of life. He gave, he, he made, uh, man, there's nothing like man on earth. Man can see, man can touch, man can hear, man can taste, man can feel, man can communicate. After all, God placed man on earth and told us to be fruitful and to multiply and subdue the earth, have dominion over it. God put man in charge. See, these bodies of ours, they feel like they're under the curse of sin, but God created us with tear ducts to cry. So when we're sad, he gave us muscles to smile when we're happy and lungs to breathe in air and a heart that pumps nearly 2,000 gallons of blood every day. Your system of blood vessels, your arteries, your veins, your 
capillaries. If you're a child, you have over 60,000 miles in length of those in your body. As an adult, you have over 100,000 miles. That's enough if you tied them together to wrap it around the world four times. And listen to these cool facts. Every organ that you have two of, you only need one of to survive. That's pretty cool, right? We could think about our small intestine. I'm going to ask Jess to help me. Here you go, our small intestine. We're going to pull this thing out. Our small intestine happens to be 23 feet long, all wrapped around, right wrapped up here in our bodies. You can let go, Jess. Thank you. That's inside our bodies. If we think about in camera terms, you know, the fanciest iPhone out there is 12 megapixels. God gave us eyes. That's 576 megapixels. As an adult, every step you take uses 200 muscles in your body. The human sneeze. Now, this germaphobes, this is gonna, you're going to be done for the rest of the day. The human sneeze can travel at about 100 miles per hour. I think this is incredible. No matter how badly you hurt your fingertips, your, your fingerprint, no matter how badly you hurt it, will always return. And I didn't know this, that even our tongue prints are unique to every one of us individually. God created us with these magnificent bodies, and we're told to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. God must have been at his best when he created man, but not so. If God wasn't at his best when he created the heavens and the earth, and if God wasn't at his best when he created man, then when, when was God at his best. God must have been at his best then at the period of the battles, the period in the Bible when the children of God were able to win battles. You see, it started off with Moses when they were leaving under Pharaoh's bondage. After 430 years, God set his children free and Moses was leading them out. And then they become captured in between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army following behind them. And God opened the Red Sea, parted the water so they could walk through on dry ground. And then they looked back to watch Pharaoh's army be drowned in the water. God rescued Moses and the children of Israel that day. Or how about when God defeated the Amalekites for Moses in Exodus 17? Moses did what he was instructed. He stood at the top of the hill with his arms raised toward heaven. And, and as long as the staff of God was raised toward heaven, the people of God were defeating the Amalekites. And if he lowered his arms, Amalek prevailed. So Aaron and her stood underneath Moses under each arm and held his arms high so that they could win the battle under God's power. Or how about God's battle in, in, in Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. The Lord said to Joshua, march around this city for seven days. And on the seventh day they marched around the city seven times and shouted, for the Lord had given them the city. The walls collapsed, the people captured the city and took it over. How about Joshua chapter 10 where God wiped out the Amorites by hurling large hailstones on them in the midst of the battle. The Bible says more men died from the hailstones than Joshua's men killed. Joshua prayed and the, and the sun stood still. The moon stopped until the Lord's vengeance was on his enemies. You see, God used Joshua to wipe out the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Canaanites. How about King Jehoshaphat? In Second Chronicles. Not only is it just fun to say King Jehoshaphat, it's incredible to see the, the great power of God protect the people of God. All right, uh, The Moabites and the Ammonites and the Munites came out against King Jehoshaphat of Judah, but the prophet told them, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed of the great hordes of people coming toward us. 
Just stand firm. The battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. You see, King Jehoshaphat that day, he just called out the choir. And they began to sing, and they praised God. While they sat and God ambushed their enemies. God fought the battles for his children and won miraculously despite being outnumbered, outskilled, outweaponed. God must have been at his best during the period of the battles. But not so. If God were not at his best at the creation of the heaven and the earth, if God were not at his best in the creation of man, and if God were not at his best in the, in the period of the battles, then when, when was God at his best? God was at his best in the period of the prophets. See, never before have the people of God spoke so powerfully the word of God on his behalf. God used his prophets to change the very course of history for his children. For example, the prophet Elijah is one of many that spoke on God's behalf. And he spoke against King Ahab. He told King Ahab, if you don't change your lifestyles, if you don't change your sinful ways, your false worship, this drought is coming. And on behalf Sure enough, the drought came because they didn't change their ways. So God sent Elijah to this widow in Zarephath. And he said, go to her and go and ask her for food and water. I will provide for you, is what God was showing Elijah. And he went to this widow who was out gathering sticks to, to start a fire, to, to cook her last meal, to use her last flour, her last oil, so that they could eat their last meal and then starve to death. And Elijah says to her, do not fear, but make me a cake. And Elijah told her, that her needs would be provided until the drought was over, and her faithfulness led to God's provision. You see, every time she went to the flour jar, there was flour in the jar. And every time she went to the oil jug, there was oil in the jug. God provided the, the means for her to sustain life. But in the midst of her faithfulness, her son died, and in her mourning she cried out to Elijah, and the prophet Elijah stretched himself out over her son three times and prayed to God and said, God, restore life into this boy, and God, through the powerfully using his prophet Elijah, raised this young boy from the dead, but God wasn't done with Elijah yet. You see, there was this showdown in Mount Carmel, I got to tell you about this, there was this showdown where King Ahab had 450 prophets of Baal and of the Ashtaroth, and and, and, and Elijah's by himself, and Elijah's, God says, look, you're going to go up against, you're going to face off with King Ahab. And so Elijah says, look, you build an altar, and you pray, you cry out to your gods, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if you can rain down fire, and then I'll pray out to my God. And so the, the, the prophets of Baal, they built an altar, altar, they sacrificed a bull, and they cried out all morning long to their little G, their little O, their little D, gods, but they got no response, no shower of fire. But Elijah, he set up an altar. He placed 12 stones around the altar. He sacrificed a bull. He then dug a trench, filled it with water, covered the whole altar with water. And then he prayed once, and God immediately answered the prayer and, and rained down fire on this altar, and it consumed everything, the altar, the sacrifice, the stones, the water. It says it even consumed the dust. God must have been at his best during the periods of the prophets like Elijah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Noah and Samuel and Zechariah and so many more, but not so. If God wasn't at his best when he created the heavens and the earth, if God 
wasn't at his best when he created man, if God wasn't at his best in the period of the battles or in the period of the prophets, then when was God at his best? God must have been at his best in the birth of Christ. You see, Luke describes it and says there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, <coughs> and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Never before have the angels came together to sing a song to proclaim one's coming. We sing, Hark the herald, angels sing, Glory to a newborn king. That night, God must have been at his best because the Son of God was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and the heavens sang out in joy. The prophet Isaiah predicted the coming by the, by the virgin, and, and, she, and he said, She shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning that now God is with us. A bright star in the sky led the magi to him from the east, and they came bearing gifts they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when they saw Jesus for the first time, they fell on their face and worshipped him. God must have been at his best at Christmas, at the birth of Christ. But not so. If God wasn't at his best when he created the heavens and the earth, and if God wasn't at his best when he created man, and if God wasn't at his best during the period of the battles, and if God wasn't at his best during the period of the prophets, and if God wasn't at his best in the birth of Christ, then tell me, when is God at his best? God must have been at his best during the life of Christ. During the life of Christ, no other time have we seen, because Jesus went about doing incredible kinds of good. All incredible kinds of good. Let's take a stroll through the Gospel of John. In chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples were attending a wedding in Cana, and, and they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mother, she was standing there like all mothers. She said, my son Jesus, he can do something about that. And, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus tells the servant to go fill up the water jugs, to go fill them up. They're 20 to 30 gallons. He said, fill them up, fill them to the brim, and then bring me a cup. And they brought him a cup of water to the, to the master of the feast. And upon him tasting it, he said to the bridegroom, you have saved the best for last. When did Jesus do it? I don't know, sometime between the pouring in and the pouring out. Or how about in chapter 4 when Jesus uh, healed the, the official son. He came to him and he said, my, my son is at the point of death. And Jesus said to the official, go, your son will be healed. He will live. And the official returned the next day when he got home to his son. And the servants reported that the very hour that Jesus said he would be healed, that he was. How about in chapter 5 when Jesus healed the lame man who who laid by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, hoping for the miracle water to heal him. And he, though he, he wasn't quick enough, he wasn't able to get in the water first, Jesus walked up and said, get up, take your mat and go home. And he walked for the very first time in 38 years. This man took up his mat and he walked away. 
Don't forget about chapter 6 when Jesus was preaching on the mountainside. And the people uh, be- became hungry and nobody had stopped by Taco Bell for a-, a party pack of tacos, right? And nobody had stopped by White Castle for one of those crave cases because you shouldn't ever stop by White Castle to get one of those crave cases. But one of the disciples said to him, this little boy has five loaves and two little fishies, but what good are they? So Jesus showed them, and after thanking his heavenly Father, he fed the masses, and he had the disciples pick up the twelve baskets full of leftovers. Shortly after that, the disciples were headed back on a boat across the lake, and a storm blew in, and Jesus In the midst of this storm came walking out three to four miles, as John tells us, across this lake. And they see Jesus coming. They believe at first he's a ghost, but Jesus calms their fears and he gets in the boat and he calms the storm. How about in chapter 9 when Jesus healed the blind man? He just simply spit in the ground and picked up that mud and rubbed it in his eyes and told him to go to the, the pool of Siloam and the man's sight was restored We can't skip chapter 11. Chapter 11, Mary and Martha cried out to Jesus and said, Look, our our brother Lazarus, he's sick. He's not doing well. Jesus, you have to come. But Jesus was doing his father's will. And he was busy and he wasn't able to get there for four days. In the meantime, Lazarus had died. He'd been buried in a tomb. And this family was mourning when Jesus arrived. He comes promising hope. And he came saying he was the resurrection and the life. And he walked up, he said, let's go to the tomb. And he walked up to the tomb and he hollered out, Lazarus, come forth. And rigor mortis had to get out of the way because Lazarus came up out of the grave, taken off his grave grave clothes. God must have been at his best. He had to have been at his best during the life of Christ because of all the incredible things that he did. But not so. If God wasn't at his best, the creation of the heavens and the earth, if God wasn't at his best when he created man, if God wasn't at his best during the period of the battles, if God wasn't at his best during the period of the prophets, if God wasn't at his best during the birth of Christ, if God wasn't at his best during the life of Christ, then when was God at his best? Tell me so we can go home. God must have been at his best during the death of Christ. See, if he hadn't died, we would be in a terrible predicament. Judas betrayed him. The people falsely accused him. The guards arrested him. They drug him from judgment hall to judgment hall to Annas, to Caiaphas, to Pilate, to Herod, and back to Pilate where he was sentenced to death. They flogged him. They beat him. They mocked him. They tore off his flesh from his bones with the cat of nine tails. They jammed a crown of thorns in his skull, and they made him carry his cross to Golgotha. They drove spiked nails through his hands and his feet, and they nailed him to the cross. And on that cross, bleeding and suffocating, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And having fulfilled his Father's will, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. He died on the cross. The sun didn't shine for three hours as they had total darkness in the middle of the day because he died. They jammed a spear in his side because he died. The temple veil was ripped in two 
because he died. The earth shook, the rocks split, all because he died. We sing the song, down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name. God had to have been at his best when he sent his son to die. But not so. If God wasn't at his best at the creation of the heavens and the earth, and if God wasn't at his best when he created man, and if he wasn't at his best during the period of the battles or during the period of the prophets, and if he wasn't at his best during the birth of Christ, and if he wasn't at his best during the life of Christ, and if he wasn't at his best during the death of Christ, then tell me, when was God at his best? God must have been at his best at the resurrection. See, Jesus told them that if you destroy the temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And he did. On the first day of the week, on that Easter Sunday morning, Jesus got up out of the grave. When all hope seemed lost, when the disciples were disillusioned, when his family was suffering, when the accusers were rejoicing, he rose from the grave. And all power and authority and triumph over sin and death, Jesus rose from the grave. No one has ever resurrected themselves from the grave, but Jesus did. You see, the guards had to fabricate lies because he rose from the, ga- the grave. One of my favorite hymns is, Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. Because he rose from the grave. God must have been at his best when the tomb was empty and Jesus had risen. But not so. If God wasn't at his best when he created the heavens and the earth. And if God wasn't at his best when he created man. And if God wasn't at his best during the period of the battles or during the period of the prophets, and if God wasn't as best during the birth and the life and the death of Christ, and if God wasn't at his best at the resurrection, then tell me when was God at his best? I got it. God was at his best when he looked down on me in Casey, Illinois. Had a nearly eight-year-old boy who had a convicted, sinful heart that couldn't let him sleep with the realization of a need for a Savior. And I was at home in bed praying with my mom to receive Christ. My dad was at a deacon's meeting because I'd been asking all sorts of questions, and they were there praying for me to receive salvation. God was at his best that night. When he saved me, when he saved me, but not just me, God is at his best in salvation. You see, from From Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't matter what story we tell you. It's all about the redemptive love story of God, about God's salvation. God is at his best 
in salvation. The Bible says this morning, the Bible says to all who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. This morning in our invitation time as, as Todd comes, God can be at His best in your life this morning. You can come this morning and receive salvation. You can come this morning and commit to be baptized. You can come this morning and join our church. But today is the day of salvation. Today, God is at His best. Let's stand and sing. have a seat at this time we're going to give back to our incredible gracious loving God who's given to us
I want you to come back tonight for our uh, VBS musical, and uh, we made up a little uh, a little uh, um, trailer for tonight's uh, musical. Uh, it's called Badger in the Wild. So here's our uh, our VBS trailer. Roll it. told somebody this morning, if we could just get our kids to come out of their shells, we, you know, have something. Uh, no, they're, they're great. You're going to really enjoy that tonight. Uh, in fact, I, th I think it's probably the best vi the VBS uh, script that we've ever had. So uh, come back tonight. It'll be loads of fun at 6 o'clock. If you have kids that are going to be in it, then we need you back here at 5 because the children need to be back here at 5. Uh, also, uh, uh, we have already started the School of the Arts summer session, so it's not too late to join up on that. Uh, but one thing, uh, now that we've gotten through VBS, uh, put on your schedule now uh, that we're going to have a School of the Arts uh, music camp. And that's kind of like VBS, but it's got it's for music. And it'll be July the 8th, or so there, July the, July the 8th through the 12th, 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, you can find out more information about that on the Internet, uh, on the website. Or you can talk to Susan, my wife over there at the piano, and uh, more about that. So... Uh, without further ado, Tim and his, uh, is your family going to be with you at the Welcome Center if you're a first-time guest and you want to speak with Tim. Uh, great message this morning, by the way. Excellent. Excellent. Good, good job. And so go talk with, yeah. If you want to meet with Tim and he, if you're a first-time guest with us, he, we have a special gift we want to give for, to you. So without further ado, let's uh, pray and we'll be dismissed to uh, Connection Group. Lord, thank you so much for a wonderful day of worship today. Thank you for, for all the things that, of who you are, all those seven or eight, nine things that Tim mentioned. But most of all, thank you for salvation. Thank you for reaching down into each and every one of our lives and caring enough for each one of us to make a difference and to, to bring us into salvation, a hope for tomorrow. Lord, we, we look forward to what you're going to do throughout the rest of this day as we go and we learn about you in our connection group and as we have more worship services. Lord, I pray that people will be touched and moved for you. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.